I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Whoa! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman talk. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Oh! Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Barlow Bucks. Do you prefer your legal tender to have the face of a large old wheezy mob boss? Do you prefer money that you can't spend anywhere but your own imagination? Then grab yourself a stack of Barlow Bucks. Money fit for a king. So we're back with part two of our coverage of one of the most deliberately comedic episodes of the series. Perhaps most divisive? You be the judge. Anyway, listen to last week's episode for a discussion about the episode's plot with comedian and Batman fan Joel Jensen, because today we'll be talking about... Today's episode, Joker's Millions. With... Today's guests, Dynamic Music Partners. Lolita Ritmanis, Michael McQuistian, and Christopher Carter are three of the composers for Batman the Animated Series. They met while working on the show together and since then have developed a rapport, have worked on Superman, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Teen Titans, Batman Beyond, Return of the Joker. Now they're working on stuff like Batman and Scooby-Doo meets Brave and the Bold, Brave and the Bold being a show they also did, as well as The Killing Joke and a lot of other DC animated movies. So their work has spanned decades. I think so, decades at this point, and they're incredible. We've had them on the show before. You can listen to their individual interviews if you go a-searching, but today they're here together. Let's get to that interview. Well, they're back. I'm sitting with all three of the Dynamic Music Partners, the Dynamic Trio, uh, and it's so good to have you guys back. Oh, thanks a bunch. Um, just so you guys know, I'm Michael. And I'm Lolita. And Christopher. There we go. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, how have you guys been since you were each individually on the podcast? You guys have been working probably a lot on many, many other things. We've been good. You know, it's it's great to be working and and to help with the storytelling through our music. It's just been wonderful. We've had a chance to meet a lot of our fans over the last few years, since at least since I was on with you. I don't know when when was that. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Yeah, we've we've been uh, not just working, but also doing these festivals um, where we have conducted our music with with live orchestras, and it's been really fantastic. You were saying mm-hmm. that that was mostly outside of the United States. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think so. We did uh, the festival in Poland in Krakow, the Krakow Film Music Festival. Um, that was terrific. That was at the beginning of last year. And then in the middle of last year, we went to Tenerife in the Canary Islands and did their film music festival there. So, I mean, it's just so wonderful for us to be able to be there and see the music come to life and then be able to interact with people who've actually know the music and have heard the music. I mean, when you write a lot for television, you don't always get that one-to-one contact like you would if you were in the audience of a movie theater. So it's really terrific and to be able to talk to the people who have heard our music before. Yeah, what has that been like? Uh, you know, these shows that you guys have worked on have a legacy at this point. Uh, and years later, now there are people like me who are hosting a podcast or, you know, like all, you know, people have grown up on your music. How, how has that changed the way you view it? Have you seen things with a new perspective I think all the time we we are writing music for our producers, and it seems like a very small audience. And I think sometimes we do kind of lose sight of the fact that these shows are are so incredibly popular all over the world. But when we get a chance to um, 
to reconnect with the fans and, and see uh, how, how they've enjoyed watching them. Uh, that really makes it a lot of fun for us, too. Well, why don't we, you know, dial back to when you guys first met each other. Um, how did you guys come into contact initially? Was it through the animated Batman the Animated Series originally? Was it that Shirley had hired all three of you independently? Yeah, Shirley started her grand experiment, and that was on Batman the Animated Series, um, where she was opening her her heart and her wealth of knowledge to allow for young composers to basically be mentored by her and also work on that series. I mean, it's kind of unheard of to get a to get a call basically saying like, "How would you like to How would you like to work on this on this show?" <laughs> so um, she had, uh, I think it was close to at one point about thirty composers, wasn't it? Yeah, that at she, least that kind of went through the Shirley Walker mentoring. Uh, and then eventually graduating to working with her as a as a colleague, um, and we were the ones that kind of uh, survived the grand experiment and and went on to to work with her on many different things. I mean, it's a long story. But <laughs> How common is that in in your business? Uh, does this usually happen, or is it you know grand experiment for a reason? I think Shirley was really unique in how she was willing to use the position that she had to give composers a, a, a start, a chance. I mean, that was her whole point, was to give young composers a chance to have a, a chance to record in front of an orchestra at a professional situation, come away with a good credit, come away with a good demo tape. Um, I don't know that anybody was really doing that. Not to that level, Not not with the idea that the person who was writing the music, who had no credits before, and she was trying out and mentoring, that person would get equal, you know, cue sheet credit for the music that they had written. So it was all completely official. And then screen credit at the end of the show for additional music. Mm-hmm. I mean, and eventually when we did our own episodes, we got sole credit for the episode. And then she would have music supervisor credit. But I mean, there was, I, I've never seen anybody be that generous with, you know, their process. And it was just unheard of. And I'm just so grateful because that was my first experience as a composer in the business. That was my first job. And to have that going out of the gate, I mean, it really kind of set my expectations and standards pretty high. And I think that was her intention. I mean, it's, there's no question about it that, uh, especially in television, it's a team sport. I mean, the, the schedules are just too tight. The turnaround's too short. Um, for one person to really do it all by themselves. So everybody has a team, but Shirley definitely took it to the next level of this is my team and this is who they are, and they're the ones that are actually writing this music. Yeah, I think people are more aware of the fact that that uh, the busier television composers, well, composers in general, have many composers that are actually working with them um, as well. Back then, I think m- the other people that had quote-unquote teams, it was more known as like ghostwriting, and, and you, you weren't mm-hmm. supposed to really talk about it. Mm-hmm. But but big props to Warner Brothers Animation um, um, and Warner Brothers in general for for really supporting Shirley with this. And, yeah. and she went through, it wasn't just like we were some, you know, silly people off the street that she just dragged in and said, hey, you want to write for Batman? I mean, (laughs) she did some serious amount of research and and, uh, got recommendations from professionals in the in the business. I mean, I need for me, I was orchestrating on on big feature films and and I was already working at Warner Brothers. So um, I think my entree into working with her was there was a confidence that Warner Brothers had in me because they already knew about me and 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 they felt like could that that would be a good fit but gosh we sure learned a lot from her and miss her like crazy I mean yeah. it's, it's Michael and Lolita were the first two members of the Grand Experiment, and I think you probably were under the, the most scrutiny, wouldn't you say so? Well, we <laughs> were, she had to kind of eat. We were the guinea pigs. Yes, exactly, <laughs> try out this whole process of bringing other people in. Yeah. And um, when the Batman the Animated Series started, I was actually still in college, so I was watching the show, and I was seeing all that they had done. And when I graduated and Shirley uh, gave me a chance to be on the show, because they were running out of episodes at that point, it was kind of like, okay, we're going to step, 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 right. Go. <laughs> yeah, you were right at the end of the of the se- second or third season. I can't remember which, but right when they were about ready to close up the show, and so she had a couple episodes left, and now mm-hmm. she got you right in there, right under the radar. And myself and Brian Langsbard, I think we were the last two to yeah, come in. That's right. Come in on the show. And what were your first episodes? 
that um, you... Well, um, I know that we... Did we share Christmas with the Joker? You, we shared Christmas with the Joker and, and Pretty Poison. Pretty Poison, yeah. We yeah. did like a third, a third, and sure, yeah, we did a third. Yeah, she did a third, right. It was a lot of fun. And then my, my first solo one was It's Never Too Late. Right, which we gangster. talked about yeah, in the last episode. Yeah. Right. And mine was Be a Clown, which we talked about when I was yeah. with you last. So. Yeah. My first episode shared with uh, Brian was Lock Up. Uh-huh. And then my first solo one was Catwalk. Both great. <laughs> they were fun. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Episode. Here we are, you know, more than 25 years later. And, <laughs> it's just and working together, which I think is very cool. Uh, the fact that you guys collaborate and create things and it all started with this this one show is is pretty incredible. That, how common is that, that people end up sticking together that long? Not. Yeah, I don't think it is. <laughs> I mean, but we're just, we just like the, the rhythm of... of of kind of feeding off of each other energy wise and also having being able to to plan our lives a little bit better. I mean, it's hard hard enough as it is to get an assignment to write music for an episode and have, you know, a very short amount of time to do it and then do it all by yourself and then wait around until the next one comes around. And so for us to team together, we can kind of even out the work, spread it around, and make sure that uh, the producers and directors get what they what they want. I mean, as as far as the energy, it's three times as much energy. Um, I I definitely don't suffer from burnout as often as I see some of my colleagues suffer when they when they are just completely so overtaxed with what they have to do, and there's no relief. So it's uh, it's really great to have have these two brilliant partners that I get to. Uh, Get to ride on their coattails, you know. <laughs> we love you too, Lolita. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about feeding off each other, like, how, what is the collaboration process like? How do you guys work with each other? How do you guys give and take? We, um, we each of the, the actual nitty gritty writing of cues is done independently. We each have our own studios in our own environments that we work, but we all attend the spotting sessions, which is the initial session with the producer where we talk about what the music's going to be. So mm-hmm. we all. That's our initial collaboration is with the producer, the three of us, the four of us, or however many, will uh, talk about the music's function. Um, if there's any important themes that have to be either created or brought back. And then as we're each individually writing our own cues, uh, we we share stereo mixes of them with each other. So we can, you know, if, if I'm starting after this this uh, segment that, that Michael's just finishing and before Lolita's segment, I know that my piece has to fit in between. And also, if you know, if, if Mike comes up with a great theme for the certain character, then we'll, uh, you know, we'll share themes, and that way the music is very cohesive at the end, even though we're writing independently. Yeah, if we're splitting the whole episode, you know, between the three of us, and sometimes we split it different ways. Sometimes only two of us will work on an episode and one person will go on vacation or something. And then sometimes we'll split it in a different in a different way where one person will do one whole episode and another person will do a whole episode. I know Teen Titans was like that. We split it up episode by episode mm-hmm. because the music was lent itself to that. It lent itself to like a, an approach where there would be one sound for the one episode. And it was better for one composer just to write that one episode and then do another episode later. But we have simultaneous series happening, you know, all the time where we'll be working on, uh, you know, like, for instance, we're working on Avengers now and, you know, we might have another series coming up soon. And if we do, then we'll be working on both of those things at the same time. And so it's it's helpful to be able to pass the ball around a lot and and fill in the blanks a lot that way none of us lose steam you know we're all we all come to it fresh and every time we switch off it's fresh so it helps do you guys feel like you have particular strengths and like you kind of assign based off of that uh, or, or you know it's not so much a composing strength as it is a, a, a motivation. Uh-huh. Like if, if there's some scene that, that Lolita is, you can see her salivating at the idea of getting to score that. It's like, well, that's <laughs> going to be obviously Lolita's scene. The strength is wanting to do it. Yeah. yeah. And, that, yeah. and that way, you know, we're each recording, or writing something and recording something that uh, we're passionate about. And then, you know, that'll come through. In the, and then we also make sure that we each have the heavy lifting cues that nobody wants to yeah, do. What like, is a heavy yeah. acting cue, I guess? Give me well, a... something, something that's that's dramatically changing around a lot or really complex or there's a lot of things that have to be addressed, that the music has to address. But as far as like a style or um, you know, a, a, an approach, no, no we, we all do it all, really. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, if there's a Lawrence Welk source cue, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are there those kind of stylistic things that you gravitate towards or things that you just like 
It's just, we more just than like others. to do it. It's just there's certain things that we just enjoy, and I, I don't think I get any arguments from them on that. And the Lawrence Welk thing. So, <laughs> and when there's something really scary, I tend to go. Me, yeah. Me, yeah. Me, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, yeah. Chris. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, how do you guys balance? I guess you 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 started with Batman the animated series and uh, the new Batman Adventures. Um, and I actually wanted to dig in a little bit more about working with Shirley Walker. Um, what did she? What was there a creative mandate that she had going into the series originally, or, or when you first worked with her, uh, that she kind of imparted upon you? Uh, pay attention to the story. Uh, you're there to support the story, and you're there to really understand the story. And I definitely got chastised a few times from her, her about like, okay, uh, you didn't know, you didn't know the backstory of this particular character, and so it, kind of a wake up call where it's not because as a young composer, all you're thinking about is like, what am I going to write? And it's all about me and about my music, and it really isn't. Music is really there to support. So that was the biggest thing that I would that I really learned from her, and also just to be. Extremely uh, organized and also not waste time, especially when you're going to have a session with live musicians, because every little screw up costs money and takes away from the next cue that has to be recorded. Because if you've you know written something ridiculously difficult or unplayable, then you're going to pay the price, or or your your colleague's going to pay the price for not having enough time to record the next piece properly. So um, she just there were so many things. The list we could really write a book. What would Shirley say? Yeah. I think would probably yeah. be a bestseller amongst uh, film composers because she really had such great little tidbits. So. Yeah, I know for me, I, I got kind of hung up on authenticity. And I, because one of the first things I did, we, we talked about that Christmas with the Joker. And I had to do these source pieces that were based on Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. And, you know, I just come out of college and I had, you know, my degrees or whatever. And I was all like Mr. Composer guy. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be like so like what Tchaikovsky would have done. <laughs> and so I took her the score and she looked at it and she's like, this is not going to work. She's like, we don't have the same size orchestra that, you know, that they had when they did this. She's like, you're going to have to beef this up. You need to go through here and make sure that you're utilizing the resources that we have on the scoring stage. It doesn't matter whether a bass clarinet played this originally or not. You know, we need you need to use what we have and and use it to its fullest. And so that was great for me because I, I, I at that point in my life I was sort of hung up on rules and she kind of helped me she kind of gave me permission to break the rules and I needed that permission and once I once she kind of said that I was like, "Oh, well, then I can kind of go to town on this." And she's like, "Yeah, you know, just, you know, let yourself loose and, and make this great." And I was like, Okay, forget about Tchaikovsky. It was great to start with, but let's make this better. And so I, I just needed to hear that. And that kind of set me up for for a really good kind of philosophy moving forward, even with my own music, you know, not having to really think so so stringently about how everything had to be or should be and just allowing myself to let things be what they needed to be. Yeah, I feel like creatively that's what we're all aspiring for in, in any sort of field is to, like, have the freedom to know the structure or, you know, what we, you've learned in the back of your head, but kind of pour yourself into it right. without worrying too much about it. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Did she have anything that kind of stuck with you initially? I Chris? definitely struggled with the... Um we only have three hours to record this episode and the music can't be so difficult. And so that was kind of my my repeated path of... Because um, I also had just graduated from college with a composer degree and I was trying to think all this complex, avant-garde, weird... You know, uh, music that was not as accessible as it needed to be. It was too cerebral. So yeah, she definitely helped me open up and try and be a little more... Um, a little less concerned with trying to make great art to last the ages and and really tell the story because they you know sometimes that can get in the way of, of telling the story which is really the paramount thing now did you guys notice that there was any sort of shift from the original animated series to the new adventures stories uh i know that you know visually there was a big shift sure uh, in design but did you treat the music any differently I don't. I don't really think we did. Except there was a little bit more some lighthearted moments. Seemingly a little bit more. At least I. I got. I got to do some of that. Yeah, we recently mm -hmm. talked about Joker's Millions, which yeah. was an episode that is pure comedy. 
Yeah, I uh, just reviewed it a little bit because he said, "Oh, we might we might talk about yeah. it," and, I, and I, that was really fun to do, just because it was it was so different, you know. And but anytime you have something that Paul Dini writes, you know, it's as as it's, it's. I mean, the writing's great, and and just the voice acting, you know, you know, Joe Joe following the Joker's, you know torment and his you know and his excitement at, at the same time on that particular episode was just really fun with with all the you know spending money you know spending money and, and I remember there's this montage money montage you know where he's where he's like riding a golf cart and and I just it was it was a really fun thing to do I mean nowadays if I had that cue to do now in that um, there'd probably it'd be like sequencing drums and whatnot but it was all live you know it was live so it was yeah. all written out on us you know by hand and on on score paper and and it really came to life at the session you know little instrumental solos and it was it was just a lot of fun you know yeah that music rock. that cue was very playful yeah. uh, I remember it sounded very peanutsy to me yeah 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 it was uh, definitely well I mean it's just the co- the colors of everything I mean he's wearing like this little funny hat and he's on his golf cart and it's like all about money and it just you know and plus there also that episode had all the different auditions for his new you know sidekick which was you know just totally funny you know it's like too tall too fat too this too that you know and so and paul has a cameo yes he does he has a cameo is he the male harley yes he goes (laughs) (laughs) we you know we we see paul from time to time and it's it's just anybody that worked on the original series there's just this immediate bond and it's like this like like a lifelong bond i mean we work with bruce tim too um and uh it's just like this in, very interesting family. Um, yeah. Recently, when Alan Burnett was, uh, he, there was a retirement uh, party for him on on the lot, and and it was just like some sort of old home week. You know, all these yeah. all these famous producers that we worked with. I mean, we were very very honored to be invited to this event, but it was just literally very warm and fuzzy it's like oh this you know there's so and so that's the show and that's the show and this is this is what helped pay for my kids college you know (laughs) (laughs) know, that show that guy you know so um i don't know yeah it was like an instant camaraderie just i mean even with the actors and i mean kevin conroy was there and you know we we've gotten to know him well enough now but really the connection is is from that original batman series that because he knows that that's that was our first series too so we kind of share that and it's just yeah it does feel like a family reunion now you mentioned kind of scoring the joker uh, a bit have you all worked i mean i know that you've worked on a joker episode michael have you worked on joker stuff as well uh not an, an episode of btas no uh but in any other iterations well I well, we, did the, well, we did the killing joke. Yeah. So, I mean, what is it like to approach different versions of the Joker? Because you, you've done it through the animated series, I imagine, you know, through Batman Beyond. Uh, well, yeah, Chris did the Return of the, of the Joker, Joker which ret- is like a whole different... Which is one of the darkest, dark. probably the darkest until, I guess, Killing Joke kind of interpretation in my book. Uh, if not more... To me, it feels even darker only because there is this playful history behind it. <laughs> That, like, we've seen the evolution of this character, and it's pretty awful and monstrous. <laughs> oh, certainly. Uh, well, what has it been like to kind of uh, get to score that kind of character? Uh, and, and how does it shift depending on the interpretation? I mean, he's like the pinnacle of Batman villains. Yeah. So you really you kind of have to make it the the pinnacle of, of music. I mean, he's the, the evilest. He's the, the weirdest, the, the most... He, he really requires music that... Um, you know, captures the inner madness. I, I, when I worked on The Killing Joke, it's for me, it was just, it was a really dark, but kind of a cool, dark experience. Um, I didn't have a relationship with the, the novel, so I didn't have any baggage, good or bad, before working on this, on this uh, version of this. And I just know that listening to Mark Hamill's voice and feeling that really like all it takes is one bad day you know it's just that like little like little thing that can make you snap so going to a really dark place in myself and just allowing that kind of creepiness just to you know kind of settle in and then snap you're in a different moment all of a sudden you know because he's so he's so like crazy at times Mm -hmm. you know he goes from being really dark and creepy to just you know, is and even in in Killing Joke the song that we did yeah there's a musical number as Gordon's being kind of 
forcibly how, taken through this madhouse, this funhouse. How fun crazy house. is that? I mean, and 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 James Tucker did the the storyboard, storyboard, yeah. and it's. I mean, it's like where there's this da, 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 da song going on while all this horrific thing. I mean, it's just it's it was disturbing. It is disturbing, <laughs> but I mean, it was, I don't know. I thought it was pretty normal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my guys don't do that all the time. <laughs> uh, I just the Joker for me. The Joker is just different versions and and different different points along the spectrum of outrageous you know it's like is it going to be outrageously funny is it going to be outrageously weird is it going to be outrageously dark just put the word outrageous before anything and that's it that's the joker right he's an extreme extreme exactly just it's really just off the charts and so i i just always felt like well okay Whatever he's doing in this scene and whatever he's trying to accomplish here, it's going to be the outrageous version of that musically. And that's has always kind of been my my guide. And And that means in Killing Joke, it was incredibly disturbing and incredibly dark and evil because that's what the story was. But then, I mean, in Be a Clown, it was... You know, well, that was a different kind of disturbing. Because, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, he was torturing a child. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. That's I just always feel like it, it's never normal. And so it's just like, well, what version of normal are we in now? You know, what his normal is outrageous. And so where are we in that now? And that's where the music needs to go. And there's an incredible amount of freedom about that. I mean, it gives the composer a license to do things that you just can't do any other way. And so that's really creatively satisfying. And writing that kind of dark stuff, does that put you in a dark place? Like when you have to kind of constantly work on something like that? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're the one raising your hand for horror. So. Yes. I I don't know. I I do it. I, I suppose there's an outlet to it. Yeah. And then I can go and walk in the park and be happy. <laughs> I don't carry it with me, but I when I'm doing it, I... I kind of enjoy going to a darker place it's, it sounds weird but it's just I can't just pretend to write something dark I have to I listen to the voice and and cue off of that so it's uh, anytime anytime as a composer I have an opportunity to really um, delve deeper as opposed to just doing some sort of like oh I okay we need an action beat here and we needed this beat there but get into the the psyche of some you know maniacal character or or their whatever or if there's a heartbreak or some backstory for some character and try to try to feel what it's like inside I I generally succeed more than if I just try to do like okay well I'm supposed to write this kind of music here and now I'm supposed to write this kind of music so. mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah I mean it's a cartoon, but my goodness, we're talking about like, you know, this it's is so not for, a cartoon. I know, but I mean, that's why, you know, I, I, I've often tried to explain, you know, my parents are in their 90s and I've said, you know, these these characters have so much depth and so such a long history. And the fans know so much more about the characters than we do. So we're always learning from our from the fans and 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 all of the yeah. just the backstory and everything. And, and it's there's such a reverence. So we treat it with the utmost of respect. Respect, I think. We yeah. Try. Well, yeah, I, and I, I feel like with, you know, especially some of the children's animation work that you guys have done, you know, even the even the shows being adult, they, they can't tackle everything verbally. They can't tackle everything on screen. But I feel like you guys are able to kind of bring a truth and gravitas to that that you might not be allowed to say, but I think it kind of sneaks in there. Mm. Um, I think I think it's more powerful, especially in animation. Uh, you can get away with more, and and you're kind of bringing the more complicated emotions, you know, in there in kind of a subversive way. Uh, I don't know if that's something you guys are you know actively tackling, or if that's just you're like, no, of course we're treating it importantly. This is you know we care about our work, but no, absolutely, we're we're definitely treating these, you know, if there's an emotion that we need to be following, we're going to make sure that, that you feel that, even if it's not necessarily on the screen, but it's subliminal. We want to make sure the music will support you and help help direct the viewer to that, that effect that the producers are looking for. But, I mean, in animation, obviously the, 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 the drawings themselves are, um, you know, can be powerful in the action and what you see. The sound is so important, and it's not just the music and the sound effects, but also the voice acting. We mm-hmm. pull so much emotion from the actors. And in fact, we were recently at a, at a voice act recording series where 
uh, a character was um, who'd been kind of a uh, an absent parent and loses his child. And the actor's voice was breaking up as he was holding his injured child. And, gosh, there's nothing but that guy's voice. And you can feel it. And I was, I was in tears. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing. And it's our responsibility also to sometimes let just the voice acting carry it and, let, and just comment on it afterwards. Because mm-hmm, music mm-hmm. can sometimes just be, can actually destroy a scene if there's too much of it or if it's too heavy-handed. So that's always a delicate, delicate balance. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you guys go to the record sessions often? No. We do whenever we can. When Often when we write a song, we've, we've kind of gotten into this really, I love the niche of being known as the, the people that can write the songs, too, because we did that uh, Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Mayhem of the Music Meister. Right, with Neil, with Patrick, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Which was so fun. Oh, yeah, and so time. ever since then, we've kind of been known as these people that can do the songs, too. So occasionally we'll get to do a song and... And then we go to the vocal record because they'll record the singing at the same time that they're doing the dialogue. So it's just so fun. But yeah. in, but in general, because there's about a six-month lag between the voice record and the animation and the post, the audio post that we do, um, we don't often get to, to witness that. And that's why it's such a treat for us when we do. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I'm curious. I kind of wanted to run through your trajectory of shows and, and maybe how you kind of approached them. Um, and, and at least starting with, you know, we, we talked a bit about Batman, both of the Batmans in, that you started with. Uh, moving into, like, Superman and Batman Beyond and Justice League, how did you approach those? And Unlimited. Uh, I guess what were the creative mandates for that and how did you play with it? Well, Superman was still uh, under the umbrella of Shirley Walker and her her whole mentorship thing. But by that time, she'd whittled down her team to just four of us, the three of us plus Harvey Cohen. Um, So she was dictating the style of that show and rightly so, you know, wanted it to be brighter and have more optimism in it because it was Superman. And, and, you know, I mean, you know the story about all the Batman background starting with black paper. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the opposite with Superman. It all started with white papers. All, all, a lot of the stories happened during the day for Superman. So she kind of uh, established that style with her theme. And she did some of the episodes, too, and gave us, you know, some of the themes for the characters and everything. And so, so she was doing that. Um, and then after, what, what came after that? What was the next one after that? Batman was it Beyond. Batman Beyond. Well, yeah, and she and it was that was still under her. It was her too. Although, um, Chris, you had the theme for that, and it was such a strong theme that I think that had a, a lot to do with the style of the show. Well, we all we all contributed in this kind of 180 degree turn from bright orchestra to dark techno yeah. and guitars and, and drum loops and. Uh, that was something that, again, the producers had the idea that's what they wanted, and they didn't think that, that uh, their bright Superman orchestral composers could do that. And so we all did demo songs in that style to show that we could, in fact, be as dark and crazy and, and twisted as they were looking for. So that was the, the, the direction for Batman Beyond. And then when we did Justice League, um, Shirley at that point decided that she wanted to uh, pursue her feature career. And so she told Warner Brothers... Uh, these people have been Michael Lita and Chris have been have been doing the music for so many years. I trust them. They're going to do a great job for you. And she pushed us out of the nest. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little, you know, it was it was a little frightening. But it was our our turn to then, um, you know, try and help shape the show with Bruce Tim and um, Justice League. He definitely wanted to to have something that was bright and triumphant, something that was had an, an epic scope to it because we're not just talking about a hero, we're talking about the heroes and they're, they're working together. And they're, the stories that they were going to um, to face were the, the biggest stories ever. <laughs> so the music had to have that kind of scope to it. And at the same time, we also started working on Teen Titans. Right. That's and right. Teen Titans was every episode had its own sound. And so we would sit down with Glenn Murakami, the producer, and we talked about, well, what can we do in this show? Oh, this is going to be kind of quirky. Oh, let's do something with, you know, the Beatles, or let's do something with um, dobro slide guitar and baritone sax or something. And so we each each show had a very distinct sound to it. That sounds difficult, but very exciting, like very creatively fulfilling to get to try a bunch of different things out. Well, with Glenn, I mean, he seemed to have such 
he gave us such a long leash to try what we wanted to try, which was so fun. It when you, when you have a, somebody that has confidence in what you do and they actually want to draw out from you something unique and creative, you know. Uh, not that Justice League wasn't creative. Justice League definitely was creative, but it yeah. was it, it was very much more of a certain kind of style and certain sound and and. Uh, so I think having those two contrasting shows at the same time was was uh, very creatively filling. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Glenn actually specifically would not tell us what he liked because he didn't want us to just end up doing that. <laughs> I mean, he, he liked what we were doing, but he wouldn't say, well, that's my favorite because he wanted us to say, we'll try something new next time. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> mm, yeah. When we were moving on to Justice League Unlimited, um, Bruce Tim was very fond of adding a kind of 70s guitar rock a la Kiss or, you know, a Queen. classic Queen, yeah, Queen, uh, classic rock band in addition to the orchestra. And I think Mike absolutely nailed that with his theme. And um, both Lolita's Justice League theme and Mike's Justice League Unlimited theme were both nominated for Emmy Awards for Best Theme, which I think is awesome. Yeah, yeah primetime Emmy Awards. And yeah. it, was, it was really fun. And, and <laughs> I was sad that I didn't win, but I lost to, to Thomas Newman. And you lost to... Uh, yeah, Danny I lost Elf. to Danny Elfman. Yeah, so, you know. oh, wow. A couple no-names, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Where did know. that come from? <laughs> but those, that music, um, we perform music. Is a lot of Justice League music we have for the concert for the concert hall for for orchestra and for band, and and it really it really translates well. Yeah. So. Well, that actually is kind of a nice transition. I have some fan questions. All right. People oh, cool. Send them in. Awesome. Um, if they. So, so here's one of them. Uh, they say, given the popularity of live performances of the score from 90s video games and movies, Legend of Zelda, Final Fantasy, etc., what do we have to do to get a Batman the Animated Series concert? I'd selfishly want it to happen in London, they say, so long as it was recorded. But basically, can we make that happen? Can fans make that happen, I think is what the person is asking. Absolutely. I would say have the have that fan uh write to the different festivals that are that are putting on these you know, there's the one in Poland in Krakow, uh Tenerife, there's a festival in Malaga. I mean we could there's certainly Ghent as Ghent, well. yeah. um big film music festivals. And I know there was talk about doing some sort of a Batman uh concert uh concert at one of these festivals. So anytime a fan requests it, it's definitely could happen. Mm-hmm. But we have quite a few of these pieces that I mean we actually did a concert in Texas mm-hmm. that had um some stuff from didn't didn't we have some BTS stuff or was it just uh, uh I know that I did a couple of pieces from BTS in Tenerife. Yeah. So the music's so, available. Yeah. We certainly can do it. Yeah, it's ready to, to ready to perform. Yeah. I would love to see it out here, selfishly, in Los Angeles. <laughs> or I feel like at a Comic Con sort of event where, you know, off site in you know, somewhere in San Diego, I feel like there are so many people that would go to that. We could probably, probably do a smaller thing, you know, not necessarily a big orchestra thing in San Diego, but I mean it would we could do some smaller thing. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be kinda of fun. Plan the seed. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, Another question they ask, as film composers, what do you feel slash imagine when you listen to new music? Like, where does your mind often go? What kind of, any kind of new music? That was the question. <laughs> what yeah. did you say, as a film composer? As as film composers, they say. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you feel or remember? I guess, you know, just as yourselves, when you listen to new music, uh, what's happening in those brains? <laughs> I, I think that every composer, no matter what style you're doing, has something that they want to say. So I'm, I'm just opening my mind to receive it. I just want to appreciate what it is that they want to try and express. I, uh, I have a season subscription to the LA Phil, so I go to the Philharmonic and I listen. And I just, you know, sometimes it's, you know, we, we say the old dead guys, but it's, off, it's often they also have some new music that is, you know, being composed, you know, recently. And and uh, I just love listening to the live instruments in the acoustics and just, yeah, let my mind just wander. Because for us, we were, we're writing to picture most of the time. Um, I've been trying to do more concert music recently, um, and I've had some, some pretty decent success. And I want to continue because it's really, it's a different animal to be, you know, to have the live. live. What do you like about it? I like the fact that there isn't picture, but 
you know, I do. My music is still compared to this. It sounds like film music, so some people think of that as a as a as a critique. But at the same time, it's、uh, bringing more people into the concert hall because it really shouldn't be only for it. It music should be accessible to people. So if if my music has a little bit more melody than than the music that's written being written currently out of academia, so be it. If people like it,、um, that's what I prefer to write. But、um, it's it's great. I think I think the video game concert world has really opened up the possibilities to our whole next generation of of kids and and young people and old people going to the concert hall and and experiencing things live as opposed to just sitting in their in their rooms. So I'm absolutely thrilled、mm-hmm. about it.、So. By the way, Lolita just made her Carnegie Hall debut. Ooh, yes, congrats! That's awesome. True. Yeah, there's a, a phenomenal conductor, Amy Anderson, who actually conducts Zelda, the concert、uh-huh. tours with that. But she's、uh, established a new orchestra called Orchestra Moderne in in New York, and it, the idea is to promote diversity and、um, and to also promote these kinds of concerts of, of new music, but music that is accessible to people.、So. That's great. Yeah,、hmm. yeah. I think when I listen to music, I'm always listening for something that. That takes me on a unique journey. I'm always listening for like, what is this person doing that 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 speaks to me? That that I ha- maybe it's something I haven't heard before. Maybe it's just a, a turn of a phrase, or maybe it's a way they're using harmony or rhythm or something that captivates me. And that's what really draws me in. That's kind of what I'm listening for. And it doesn't have to be a new person. I mean, it could be something that I haven't ever heard that was written 300 years ago.、Mm-hmm. But just any, I'm always kind of. Waiting for that moment where I feel like, oh, you know, oh, oh, this really, this has grabbed hold of me in some way, and it could be a a song, it could be a chamber piece, <laughs> it could be, it doesn't have to be some big orchestral thing that beats me over the head, you know, with impressiveness. I sometimes I'm <laughs> impressed by the smallest things, little things that that are done differently that are special. So I, I'm just, you know, waiting for that moment where I feel like. I've been sort of touched by something different and unique, so I mean that's kind of how I listen. <laughs>、yeah. I like suggestions too. So if the fans want to write some suggestions, send send us an email and say, "Hey, you should check this out." I mean, I I'm always asking my kids. I my husband and I have、uh, three grown kids, and I say, "What what you know? Tell me an album. What should I listen to?" And So I mean, yesterday the Grammy nominations came out, and so it's like I had not heard Jay Z's album or Kendrick Lamar. You know, I'm getting all this stuff, and I, in my morning walks, I, I was telling the guys I was listening to Jay Z's new album just because it's not something normally that would be on my playlist, but、mm-hmm. just so I can understand, you know, what's getting the most nominations and try to, you know, get some really cool, you know. Perspective on what is what is critic being critically acclaimed、um, that's not film music. So, cool. One more question from the the fans.、Uh, they said actually about Brave and the Bold、uh, for the Music Meister episode of Brave and the Bold. Were you given any extra time to work on that episode compared to a regular one? The only because we had to write the songs first, right?、Um, And so yes, we did. But even in terms of producing a, a brand, you know, a musical from scratch, that timeline was very compressed. Yeah, what was the experience in general working on that show and and the Music Meister episode in particular?、Uh, that, it was a riot. It was that, so fun. It's so fun. It was fun. a little a little stressful when the first thing we start the first thing we did on that whole series was the musical. Right. <laughs> really. Right. Yeah, because it was because it. Start. It hadn't, you know, hadn't been written yet. So it's then the, all the acting has to happen, and then the the drawing. Yeah, nothing and, had been drawn, and so I mean, we hadn't even done any underscore or anything、correct. because that was happening months later.、Hmm. So we were starting on this musical, and it was supposed to be of the series. But we didn't even know what that was. So, so the series music was <laughs> the sound of the series was kind of based off of that Music Meister episode.、Well. Um, not so much. I mean, James Tucker definitely had an idea.、Uh, you know, when we wrapped the whole series, we gave him a a, a set of bongo drums because <laughs> we we definitely had that as as a mandate. To, we must use some bongos.、Um, it was but, like that SNL skit, more cowbell, except yeah, it was bongos. Bongos, yeah. <laughs> but it was just fun. It was fun to have fun with Batman. I mean, let's have some fun. Right, you had done so、cool. much dour Batman. <laughs> 
yeah. was just like Dour. a nice relief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Michael like, yeah. Jil- Michael Jelenic and James wrote the lyrics for the songs, and we you know fought over who would do what, and <laughs> and gosh, the actors were just amazing. I mean, of course Neil Patrick Harris. You know, there was yeah. there would be no offering to pitch correct anything because he was so perfect to begin with. Yeah. You know, we'd say, oh, that's fine, we'll fix it. And it's like, excuse me, no, I'm you know, I'll we'll do I, another take. Do another take. You know. <laughs> but then I, you know, we were. I was kind of floored to discover that uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, who normally does the deep voices, is actually like a really great tenor. And when uh, Black Manta suddenly breaks out in a song and it's a high, beautiful, clear <laughs> voice, and so, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. such a fun and funny and joyous show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I heard that there's there's like a Scooby Doo Brave and the Bold movie coming up. Uh, nice. Did you guys work on that? We did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what's that experience been like? It's been, it was announced, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, there's yeah. a trailer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It's announced. Announced. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, careful. it's no secret uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. anymore. Uh, but it, it feels like the right kind of crossover, <laughs> like those two universes feel right. Yeah, well, yeah. It works It works so well together. And we had, uh, we had done some directed videos of Scooby-Doo, and we have obviously did the Brave and the Bold. So it was nice to kind of take those two separate worlds and put them together. It wasn't. And, it was a quick study. I mean, it, it, we when we were spotting, it just kind of seemed right. So it wasn't like we were struggling to find the sound or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you watch old Scooby Doo originally? We did watch some of it, yeah. but I think we it was more for the some previous Scooby directed videos just to kind of refresh our memory on the sound. And mm-hmm. Well, it was for the spooky quality stuff because you know that's what we didn't have in Brave and the Bold was the spooky, creepy mystery mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, but yeah. it was a specific kind of mystery. It wasn't mystery like you think of in contemporary film today. It was like 60s mystery for kids you know mm-hmm. so and that's kind of we needed that sort of spooky primer to get us in the right zone to be able to then merge the styles so but we had a really wonderful experience also um working on two direct videos with Adam West the uh the uh um, Return of the Cape Crusaders, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Batman versus Two Face, which right, is the sequel. Shatner as Shatner, Two Face, <laughs> <laughs> and Julie Newmar and Burt Ward, and um, that also was a lighter Batman. And in that sense, we were uh, directed to actually evoke directly Neil Hefty and uh, Nelson Riddle and the old classic scores. Yeah, what was that like? Were you guys fans of the original that that Batman oh, series? God, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh, I. I I ran around playing Batman with my sister when I was very young because we both watched that show and it was so quirky and bizarre and wonderful. And I mean, you know, we had a bat cave out back of my house. Oh, Didn't man. every house have a bat cave out in back? We had gr- a <laughs> I mean, great you know, band. A pretend too, bat cave. <laughs> yeah. We had a great band and recorded at Capitol with, uh, you know, with these amazing yeah. uh, trumpets, trombones. And then, of yeah. course, our John, John Yoakum, our. our go-to woodwind guy it was just it's really terrific yeah it feels almost like a full circle was if this was like the batman you guys grew up on uh kind of to to do the closest version of a new iteration of it yeah Uh, and you grew up on batman the animated series so yeah (laughs) you get to immediately do that but who doesn't know the original adam west batman series no i everybody and everybody knows that theme so, I mean, it's iconic no matter when you were born or how old you are or not. Everybody knows what that is. So, Well, what yeah. are you guys working on now? What what can people look forward to? I know we just talked about Scooby-Doo and Batman, but what are the other projects? Uh, well, we're really happy that that the fans clamored for more Young Justice. We yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. I really like that. that show quite a bit, so I'm excited to see and, that yeah. new season. I mean, without revealing anything, we can just say that... Uh, Brandon and Brandon Vietti and Greg Weissman, they're they're really coming up with some very cool, very, very cool stuff for the new season. I, I'm just thrilled about yeah. just the direction of it. So mm-hmm. it's it's amazing that after five years, uh, we can get another season of That's something. That's wild. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's been announced, but obviously hasn't been released yet. The uh, the Batman Brave and the Bold, or, well, Scooby-Doo Batman Brave and the Bold crossover is, is coming up, and it's going to be a, a lot of fun. And yep. Marvel's Avengers, um, right? We're, we're, that's just crossing been, over to the other side. That's mm-hmm. been a great. It's such a great uh, show to work on, and and uh, you know we worked with Eric Radomski way yeah. back when. You know he was 
And now he's doing all the Marvel side. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we work with a wonderful producer at Marvel, uh, Jeff Allen, who's who is just just a delight to work with. So we'll send him our send him preview mixes of our work, and we'll get some fantastic feedback. And it's just <laughs> always such a riot. So. Yeah, he's been infusing the stories with so much richness and depth, and that always is terrific. You know, as a series evolves, to have it be you know have that have that additional depth as things go on it just keeps it so nice for us we have more to draw on and and more to illustrate with the music so it's fun there's only so many hours in the day but we're we're (laughs) all doing all sorts of other things too um I'm very involved. I'm the president of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. So it's a really, um, I always feel Shirley Walker's kind of sitting on my shoulder and, and saying, you know, you got to do this, you know, try to get more, more women opportunities to, to, to show their talent and actually to be able to work in this business as composers because it's, it's kind of dismal that there's only the top grossing films, only uh, 2% of the composers are, are women. <sighs> so I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, it's, I'm doing what I can to help uh, younger composers and also established composers get more visibility. And so that's, that's been a really, really cool thing for me. So, Is there a way yeah. for people to get involved if they're interested? They can absolutely just uh, go t- uh, to the AF- AWFC or Alliance for Women Film Composers uh, website and you can become a supporting member. Um, and I mean, they're really kick-ass women that are doing great things out there. I mean, great scores and, and, uh, you know, with the climate being so crazy right now with with everything um, that's happening, the best thing that people can do is to empower, help empower women by giving them opportunities that they rightfully deserve, you know. And I've had such a great career, and I'm so thrilled about everything. And, and you know, I've always been treated great by my colleagues, you know, here. <laughs> um, so I have I have no personal complaints, but I see what you know, some of these women have had to endure. So it's it's just empower them and, you know, hire women. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So. And what about you guys? Where can they get in touch with you if, if they'd like to reach out? You know, is there a website or Twitter or wherever? We do have a website. It's www.dynamicmusicpartners.com. Um, there is a, a contact link, that the web form they can fill out. We also have a Facebook page, uh, Dynamic Facebook slash, I think it's just Dynamic Music Partners. Yeah. If they search on Facebook, they'll find us for sure. And Twitter. You, you kind of do our Twitter. You, you, yeah. <laughs> Twitter. Yeah. So people can barrage you with uh, lots of new music recommendations. <laughs> hey, you Twitter. Know. We sure. listen to that stuff. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for doing the show again, you guys. It was good to have you all at once. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for uh, Love yeah. your work. And oh, thanks well, to the thanks. fans. My goodness, we're so indebted to to you guys for listening to us all these years yeah we appreciate it more than you know it, it really it motivates us to want to do more and more so you know just the fact that there were people that sent in questions is really meaningful to us yeah well thanks guys Yay. thank you there you go that's the show if you liked what you heard please rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts follow it on twitter at btas podcast and me at hey justin you can donate at patreon.com slash btas podcast if you feel like giving me your monies batman the animated podcast is hosted and made by me justin michael tom smith created the show logo and casey trela helped produce the theme song harry chaskin is the booming voice of the podcast andrew seeley is our show producer and emma erdbrink recorded and edited this episode and Sung lu helped coordinate thanks again to the dynamic music partners for popping by and to this american life producer tori malatia who i actually caught doing a non-union production of fiddler on the roof under the table and and he claimed honest they told me it was an equity gig look tony it's no big deal i I don't think anybody cares. And for the record, I really thought you killed it with your rendition of Miracle of Miracles. That was insane. Didn't know you had that range. All right, guys, check in next Thursday for a new episode. It's going to be a very special holiday-themed focus. Okay, bye-bye.